Well, good morning, and please be seated. And we're going to begin today by just a time of prayer. As many of us have heard on the news, oh, we're tied up there. Yeah, sorry. There's just just a cord. Um, but we are, um, you know, we are in days when there seems to be a crisis, a tragedy every single weekend. And as many of us know, this past week in Christchurch, New Zealand, somebody uh, walked in uh, with a specific belief set and shot up uh, two mosques. And for us, like we may go, well, how do we, how do we process? Well, they're, they're humanity. And we care about people. And this morning, I would like for us to take some time to pray for our brothers and sisters, our friends, who maybe they don't worship Jesus, right? They have a different faith. But you know what? They have children, they have wives, they have husbands, they have grandparents, and today they are in mourning for the loss that they have. They feel pain, right, just as you and I feel pain. You may not know this, but we have a missionary that we support in Christ Church, New Zealand. His name is John Carr. He's the son of Kathy Carr. And that shooting, one of the shootings happened just around the corner from where John lives and where John uh, leads a congregation. And for us, it's uh, several hours away on a plane. But for John, it's real life. It's right there. And I would like for us this morning to pray for our, our, our Muslim friends across the globe who are struggling this morning. Again, it's weird because you're like, well, that's a, that's a different belief. Jesus died for all people, not just people except for the Muslims. Like, I mean, now it is my hope that all people would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But may my, may my heart never grow callous to only pray for those who think as I think. May I be a person that my life always points people to the things of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the things of eternity, right? And so it's just good for all of us to hear. This is not a political message. This is the message of the heart. That if your heart is so callous towards any people group or any race or anything that you can't pray for them and you can't ask God to bless them and to love them, then we have to look internally and say, what's, what's going on with me? Why do I hate said thing or said person? And so I just want to pray today for the sadness that's in our world. Because, you know, that's the one I talked about, but I also saw this week how there's 6,000 Christians who were slaughtered, I believe, in uh, Nigeria. Or some, um, I'm going to get this place wrong, but there's, just, there's, there's heartbreak and there's slaughter and there's senseless evil all over our globe, even in, within our own nation. And so can we humble ourselves for a moment to pray and ask God's grace on these families and for that in these toughest times that they would see Jesus and that Jesus would minister to them. So, Father God, I don't always have the words, but this position puts me in a unique place where I feel like I sometimes have to address things that are global and national. So, Jesus, if I've just said something really stupid or foolish, forgive me of that. But my heart is the heart of, I want to see all men come to know you. And, Father, I pray for those whose hearts are hurting this morning because of the extreme loss in their life. Father, forgive our wickedness. I pray for your swift justice. And Father, as we're talking about today, I do look forward towards eternity. Because if your word is true, and I believe it is, it's going to be so much better there than it is here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, my name is Matt. I have the opportunity to be called, I guess my title would be lead pastor, right? But sometimes I just have to wait into the, the difficult things. But today, is a, uh, the message is a good thing. We're going to talk about eternity. 
And, and before I just jump into eternity, there, there are three D's that I want to quickly teach you, all right? Three D's. And so if you're new to church, you're new to anything of faith, or new to New City, and I see a lot of new faces, welcome to New City Church. I see a lot of faces that I haven't seen in a long time, welcome back to New City Church. And I love me some second and third time guests, you know that's right, right? So really glad that you're here today. And can we just first say, Lord, thank you for the sunshine, right? Thank you, Lord. I, I will not take it for granted, Lord. I will not take it for granted. Because um, spring will mess with you here in Kansas City. Like, we think we're out of it, and we'll get 12 inches of snow next week, right? And we're all, like, depressed again. Uh, yeah, don't say that out loud. Is that, is that even spiritual to knock on wood? I don't know. Just say, um, um, three Ds. You need to know these. The enemy, since the beginning, has three tactics, and he's excellent at them. Discourage, divide, and distract. I stole this from my friend Dan Sutherland. He's taught this for me ever since he's been one of my mentors. The enemy loves to discourage you, to distract you, and to divide you. And that can happen in your home, and it can happen globally. If the enemy can keep you discouraged, distracted, or divided, you have a hard time facing your eyes on eternal things. This little device right here that we all carry is great at keeping us divided, discouraged, and uh, what's the other one? Distracted. Right? Like, it's great at that. Even the good stuff. And we can't, it's hard to fix our eyes on the things of Christ when we're so fixed on the things of now. So today, um, as I was writing and talking and thinking about eternity, here is what I really believe uh, God wants me to try to do in your life today. is to lift your head, weary sinner. I want to do my best. I'm not calling you a sinner. I'm talking about all of us. Like, like if you're like, I'm not a sinner. Well, I hate to break it to you, all right? <laughs> but that's just God's love. That though, though we are, God still loves us. And I want today, I want to lift our heads to fix our eyes on eternal things, on things that might matter than the gloom and doom that you're facing. Because when you're, when you're only focused on your marital problem, when you're only focused, zeroed in on your financial str- uh, uh, stress, when you're only focused on what's going on at the workplace, it's really easy to not focus on what Jesus is asking you to do. So we're going we're gonna to fix our eyes. We're going to work on our focus this morning by talking about this key question that we talked about in the Believe book, and that key question is, what happens next? Now, before I get into what happens next, this is really important. You can have the best of intentions in your spiritual life. You can have the best of intentions on being a better person, however you want to phrase things. And I have learned, and you know this to be true too, is that if you go towards anything by yourself, it's harder and it takes longer to get there. And when I see so many faces at New City, can I please just encourage you in one thing? If you're even considering making New City the place that you call your home church, make church friends here. Like, please, please, please don't just say, oh, I go to church at New City. And for you, that means I listen to Matt Miller for 30 minutes every once in a while on a Sunday. New City is so much more than an hour on Sunday. And it, but I can't make you have church friends. I can't force you to hang out, but I can encourage you. The re, one, outside of me sitting with the Lord, John 15, abiding, Christ in me, I'm in Christ, uh, who is in Christ bears much fruit, apart from me you can do nothing. Outside of John 15 in my life, the thing that has propelled my Christian life has been those I have chosen to walk with. Here's a little silly saying, the direction of your friends determine the direction of your life. 
Say it again. The direction of your friends determines the direction of your life. Am I telling you to abandon all of your friendships and only hang out with church people? No, I'm not telling you that. How would the gospel be uh, continued on if we all did that? But what I am telling you is who are you hanging out with here that is also walking towards Jesus? And if, and if you think, oh, I'm going to build that relationship uh, by sitting in a pew, everybody looking at me and not talking to one another in this context right now, man, we've been misled and misguided. Believe groups are happening all throughout the week. Believe groups are where you're going to get together and you're going to talk about the things of Jesus. They're happening. Man, enter into the awkwardness of that first day of school and make a church friend. Hang out in the lobby. Eat an extra donut. That's easy to do, right? Have another cup of coffee. Like, I know that, like, hey, let's get into the Word. But listen, the Word is really hard and complicated on your own, and you were not wired or meant to follow Jesus by yourself. And so, man, I, I meant how I wish I could make you all just be buddies. Because you need church friends. Because I'm telling you, outside these walls, the world will kick the crap out of you. Can I say that in church? I just did. The world will kick the snot out of you. But you know what? A cord of three is not easily broken. You need some friends. Now, how do, what happens next? That's going to be the question that we're going to address today. And we're going to talk about last things. And what I've done is I've done my best to take all of the conversations that we see in the Bible, or the majority of them, and put them in an order that we can say, oh, that's what Jesus was saying, or that's what the writer said. So here's what you may not know about your Bible. Your Bible is not in chronological order. Okay. So you may not be aware of that, right? You have the Gospels and then the book of Acts, and then you have the letters of Paul, and then you have some other letters written by Peter and other people, and then John. And so your Bible is not in chronological order. I want to show you what your Bible, your New Testament specifically, would look like if it was in chronological order. James would go first, right? James was the brother of Jesus who, while Jesus was alive, did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, James is convinced that his brother is the Messiah, which is the best proof that I need that Jesus was the Messiah. Because if you can convince your brother that you're God, you're God. My sister still can't believe I'm a pastor, right? Are you with me? All right? But James was won over by when he saw his dead on the cross brother resurrected, holes in his hands, hole in his side. He's like, oh my goodness. And James would go on to lead the church in Jerusalem and have a great, great impact. Now, the next one that I put in that, and he writes, he writes his book of application. Like, if you're ever, like, wanting to know about this, like, Christian life, like, Christian living, James is a great letter to read. And following, and that happens 27 years after the resurrection. The next date that I give you, the next book is First Thessalonians. And this is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And here, the reason I give it is because we're going to read out of First Thessalonians today, because there, Paul addresses the church about their understanding about those who have died and how they will experience eternity or how they will join with Jesus. And then when Paul wrote that letter in First Thessalonians, that was the early church. Again, those people were all alive when Jesus died, and they were all expecting Jesus to come back during their lifetime. Fast forward now to First and Second Peter. We see here in 67 and 68 AD, 15 years after First Thessalonians. The reason Peter wrote Second Peter, one of the reasons, is because in those 15 years from First Thessalonians to Second Peter, the early church began to experience death. People started dying. And so they begin to question their understanding of the things Jesus said. And Peter said, hey, guys, listen, we don't, it's still going to happen. A day is like a thousand, and a thousand years is like a day. 
And that's where that phrase kind of came from, Peter's addressing. And so what I want to do today is to kind of put us in some chronological order. And in doing so, I want to try to answer three things for us today, okay? Number one, I want to try to answer uh, or, or help you to understand that God wants you to know how the world will end. Like, you don't have to be in the dark on last things, okay? So God wants you to know. The second thing I hope you understand today is that although God wants you to know what will happen, he doesn't tell us when it will happen. So you're like, oh, I know. No, you don't. Oh, no, my best friend knows. No, he doesn't. No, my girlfriend told me. Well, no, she's wrong. Now, you can try to tell her that. That's on you, right? I've learned in my life. I do not tell. Okay, number three. Why the end of the world should matter to you. Why it should matter. Like, Matt, why are we giving a Sunday to this? We're going to talk about that, all right? So let's begin with what Jesus said. It's recorded in Luke 21 and then also in Matthew 24. Here we go. Jesus said, Luke records this, Watch out that you are not deceived. He tells us this because people are going to be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. Like when you read a blog or somebody tweets, hey, it's happening. No. Listen to Jesus' words, right? I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from the heaven. See that, see that part, great signs from the heaven? This is going to be a theme throughout all of their letters, right? Great signs in the heavens. But before all these things, now put a parenthesis here, because what Jesus says next, and I didn't include it, he addresses, because he's having this conversation with his disciples, and he then addresses immediate next things, like things that they're going to experience in their lifetime, okay? That would just confuse us for today. But towards the end of that part, Jesus comes still speaking to his disciples in the immediate future. He says, they will be killed by the sword and led captive into all nations. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That, that statement there, uh, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, is a key statement. That is the day that we are in now. Like things are going to continue until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. And there are certain things that Gentiles are going to be doing that we're going to be doing to proclaim the gospel, to expand the gospel. There's just going to be things that are going to be happening, and then they're going to be fulfilled. Then he goes on. Then, after, after the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, the last days, the days I believe that we are also in, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Have anybody read in the last three years or heard about solar eclipse, blood moon? You guys heard any of this stuff? The reason that people start talking about it and, and blogging about it and, and writing about it is because Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and stars. And there will be anguish, anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will what? Be shaken. Like, there is certain things that haven't happened yet. But when the heavens are shaken... I'm not talking about, oh, look, a shooting star. Like when the heavens are shaken, like it's going to, people are going to lose their head. And, you know, we have big telescopes that can talk about things coming our way. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think there's going to be a time in our life, maybe in our lifetime, where we're going to get a report that's going to freak the world out. But notice what Jesus says. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place... Stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is what? Jesus is saying, I'm coming with all that crazy. Now the world is going to lose their mind because they're, they have no hope. 
and death scares them. But for the person in Christ, the person whose eyes are fixed on the eternal things, the person who doesn't shudder at death because, oh, death, where is your sting? Because I know that once I die, I'm going to be way better off. You guys are going to be stuck here, right? That when that, those things happen, our redemption is near, and it's going to get a lot better. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 24. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will what? Like something's going to happen and you're not going to be like, well, is that weird? No, it's going to be weird, right? It's going to be weird. All right. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples on the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with powers and great glory. Why will they mourn? Because the church has eternal expectations. We've lifted our eyes and said, yes, our redemption is near. Those who have denied Christ, those who have said, yeah, I don't believe in all that stuff, they are in mourning because it has hit the fan. All right? He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, this is interesting. When you say uh, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, we think, oh, like Reveille? Right? Actually, I, one of our elders, Charlie Blair, is very familiar with this kind of thing. It's not Reveille at all. I've asked Charlie to come up today, and he has a chauffeur, right? And this is actually a type of horn that is the customary trumpet that is blown uh, before all of God's big festivals and feasts. So you might hear something like this on that great and glorious day. Here's what I promise you. Everybody in the world doing this will go, what? <laughs> Guarantee it. Because it's going to be about a million times louder than that. And so when you hear that in the skies and you hear this great shout, no, whoa, whoa, here we go. Here we go. It's just gotten real. And the early church was expecting that because that horn, you guys heard it for the first time maybe in your lifetime. They heard it at every festival. And it was the wake up. Festival's beginning. And when Jesus comes back for his church, it's, hey, now is the time. Now is the time. So 30 years after Jesus speaks this stuff, Paul addresses the earliest church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 regarding people who are dying. And he says this, we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, you know, you know this? God doesn't want you to be uninformed. He wants you to know, like some of you are wandering around in life going, what's God's will? What's God's will? And you feel like you're just walking in spiritual darkness. Turn, like, turn the light on. Like, we're like, well, how do I turn the light on? I don't know. Get a church friend, right? <laughs> like, don't walk by yourself, right? Like, it's quicker when you have more hands on the wall trying to find the switch on, God, what are you trying to say to me, right? But if you want to stay in the dark room trying to figure out what's your will, what's your will, you can do that, but you don't have to. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. That word just simply is how Paul said who have died. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. We have hope. For those of us who said goodbye to our friend Rachel Moinks, I will see Rachel again. Did I grieve? Sure, I was sad my friend died, but I will see Rachel again. I have that Christian hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and us at New City, we believe this, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. What's that mean? This came from Jesus, Paul said. This is not my own opinion. 
Jesus says, We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have died, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with an archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. I'm not going to have Charlie come up here and do that again because I don't think he can, right? But, you know, the big shout of the trumpet, right? Boom, boom, boom. And in the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why do we need to encourage one another with these words? Because we get focused on all of this stuff all the time. And we forget why the eternal things matter. You're so caught up on being right. You're so caught up on being offended. You're so caught up in the anguish and the arguments and the frustrations that we take our eyes off the eternal things, the things that matter, and we start getting just distracted and divided and discouraged with the everyday life. We have to encourage. That's why coming to church on Sunday is important. Like, this is why, like, my hope is today, all of you broken vessels with ripped cells and torn masks, you come into this safe harbor, and we help you. We help mend, and we send you back out into the world ready to go and ready to tackle the day. If you come in here and you leave here more beat up than you came in, I haven't done my responsibility with God's word. We, work, like we come in, we sing in your presence. How do you sing in your presence and then go out there and let the world defeat you? Man, come on. Like, man, we have to be a people. Like, we can't wait to get to this. There was a lady at church first hour this morning, and she had told a friend that I heard this week through the gossip vine that she needed some church on Sunday. Amen. Like, I want you to need some church because life is beating the snot out of you. And you come in here and we encourage and we love on one another. Encourage them with these words. So here's a quick summary of 1 Thessalonians 4 if you want to know the order. If for those of us who are alive, if we're here when all that stuff happens, we will hear a shout with a blast and here comes Jesus. And at that moment, those who have died, who have fallen asleep, they will be raised first. And then those who are still on this planet will join with Jesus in the air. That's the order that we see in Scripture that is consistent. Now, there is the mystery of when this will happen. right? There is this mystery of when will those things take place. So God wants you to know what will happen, but he doesn't tell us when it will happen. And this is what Peter speaks to in his second letter in chapter 3. This is what Peter says. Peter says, Dear friends, this is 15 years after Thessalonians' letter. He says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you in both letters. I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you will recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Meaning that you've heard this stuff, I want to remind you. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that is promised? Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to what? Repentance. Repentance. Say that with me. Wanting all to come to what? Repentance isn't, oh, I'm sorry, God. Repentance is, I agree that my lifestyle is in opposition to your will. I turn from this thing, and I follow you. Saying, I'm sorry, but I'm probably going to do it again, is not repentance. I know, I know, no, Matt, can you please make that repentance? Because that's easier. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to redefine biblical terms, right? Repentance is when you agree that your behavior is outside the kingdom of God and you repent and you go a different direction. Now let's go from the eternal to the, the present real quick. Some of us are, uh, need to understand that there are things that you're trying to keep hidden. And God is being patient with you for the sake of your repentance, not because you've gotten away with it. And God is asking you, even today, maybe the reason you're here is he's asking you one more time because the Holy Spirit's been saying this to you. 
to repent, to stop, to change. But for whatever reason, you continue to give in to that thing. Not that some other person has identified as bad behavior or as sin, but that you know because the Holy Spirit goes, this is not what we do, and you continue to do it. Man, today would you hear one more guy, God using one more guy to say to you, repent, change your behavior, change your ways in line with what God is inviting you into. Back to the eternal. But the day of the Lord will come like a what? Come on, this is important. He'll come like a what? A thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. Again, hear this theme of heavens shaken. Now Peter's saying they're going to pass away with a loud noise. The elements will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people we should be in holy conduct and goodliness as you wait for the day of the Lord and hasten its coming. Because of that day, on that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for what? New heavens and new earth. Why do we need new? Because the old is going to be passed away. It's going to be destroyed. Where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight, at peace. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. It is a mystery of when these things are going to take place. We don't know. Jesus said it like this, out of his own mouth. Like, well, I don't know what Peter thinks or Paul. What does Jesus say? Jesus said this, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday night after a church gathering that we had here, at 3.50 a.m., somebody used the door code on the north entrance, came into our church while nobody was here, broke into Pastor Curtis's office, and stole all four of his guitars. I mean, it was somebody that knew the door code. Probably, it could have been very easily somebody that calls New City Home, right? Now, if that person would have said, hey, email Matt, at 3.50 on Thursday morning, I'm going to be coming in the north entrance using the door code that we had at the time, and I'm going to break into Curtis's office and steal his guitars. Guess what? Me? And some others would have been ready to receive him with gladness and forgiveness in our hearts, right? <laughs> right? But that's not what a thief does. And Jesus uses this story, Jesus uses this surprise visit throughout many of his parables where he'll talk about like a guy gives people talents and you don't know when the master comes. And he gives, kind of gives these surprises like, you don't know, you better watch out, you better be ready. But he doesn't always do this in a negative way. He actually does it in a positive way too. And he talks about a wedding. And I want to teach you guys this. I think you'll enjoy this. John 14, 1 through 4. Jesus is sitting around the table, communion, first communion with his disciples, when you take this bread, when you take this cup, my body that was broken, my blood that was shed. And he gives the new covenant. Hey, here's how, here's how we're going to do this going forward. And at that conversation, he tells them the news that he is going to die on the cross. And up to this point, they thought Jesus was going to be this mighty uh, warrior who was going to come and overthrow Rome, and they were going to rule then and there. And at dinner, Jesus says, guys, you've misunderstood. I'm going to give my life on the cross, and I, it's going to be a spiritual renewal. It's going to be a spiritual battle, not necessarily a physical one. And the guys are, like, weeping. And this is what he says. Hey, men, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Now, what is so fun in this is when we read this from our Western eyes, 
We see, oh, Jesus is telling his guys that he's going to go and he's going to build our big mansion in heaven. And when the big mansion in heaven's ready, he's going to come back and he's going to get us and we're going to go to our big mansion in heaven. That is not how the disciples heard that. Because Jesus gave a wedding speech right there. Jesus said something to his disciples that many of his disciples had said to their bride. We know for sure that Peter was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, right? And so picture this. I'm going to kind of help you have the ears that those Jewish men at that time would have heard uh, what Jesus said. Imagine that you go up to your bride, talk to the guys in the room, and you go up to your bride and you look her in the eye and you're proposing, and as you're proposing and you put the little ring on their finger, and I don't think they did that, but they, you say in our context, you put the ring on the finger, and then you say to your bride, listen, now I'm going to go back to my daddy's house, and I'm going to build on, okay? And once the addition is ready, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you back so that we can start our life together. It was a marriage proposal. And so what would happen in that moment, the, the, the guy, the groom, would literally leave, and the girl's like, oh, that's what happened to me, right? And the guy would leave. And it's not like how you moved away and went off to college. and like, like the, He met her there, and he's going to go, and he's going to go to his daddy's house down the road. And he's going to begin to add an addition onto his father's house. And this is going to be his future home where he's going to be married and raise his kids. But here's what's interesting. The son, the groom-to-be, doesn't get to decide when the house is finished. The son keeps going to the dad and says, hey, daddy, what do you think? Not yet, son. Keep working on it. And so Jesus, or in this context, the groom, the son, would keep coming back and working on the house. And at some point, the father says to the son, hey, it's ready. Go get your bride. Right? Go get your bride. And so the dad and the son would work together because, you know, they kind of know when a house is done. Right? But they would work together to make it a big deal. And they wanted it to be fun, and they wanted it to be exciting. And so oftentimes, the dad wouldn't say to his son, go get your bride at noon. He would wait till like 3 in the morning. And he would wait till everybody is asleep, and he would say, all right, son, go get her. Now, the groom's not by himself. He's got all of his buddies because they know that the house is almost ready too, right? And so here the groom goes down the street banging t- uh, tambourines, pots and pans. Woohoo! Here I come, baby, right? Like they're, ma- they're making all kinds of noise. And the neighbors aren't like, shut up. They're like, oh, this is so exciting, right? Now, what do you think the bride's doing? You think she's snoring? Oh, no, 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 no. She knows because she too sees the house because it's in her neighborhood and she knows that it's almost finished. She can see when it's almost done. And so she's got her friends over and they keep their oil and their lamps lit well into the night because they don't want to be caught asleep when the groom comes down the road. And all of a sudden they hear a bunch of hooping and hollering and banging on the pan lids, right? And oh, here comes my man. That is what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's given a wedding proposal to his guys. This is, man, don't be distraught. Don't be saddened. Just as you said it to your honey, I'm saying it to my bride. That I'm going to go, and when it's ready, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may also be. Isn't that fun? Now, so what is Jesus working on right now? Well, we learn about this in Revelations 21. John records this. This is what the Lord is working on. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God will himself be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. I love that. Death will be no more. No grief, no crying, no pain. They will be no more because why? The previous things have passed away. In the city of God, the thing that is causing uh, concern for you and pain for you will not be there. 
Your illness will not be there. Your grief will not be there. Your financial constraints will not be there. In the city of God, you will have everything you need all the time, forever and always. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod, check this out, at 12,000 stadia, which is 1,380 miles. 1,380 miles is length, width, and height. They were all equal. Then he measured the wall, 144 cubits. That's 72 yards. The wall is almost as thick as a football field. That's a pretty big wall, right? According to human measurements, which the angel used. Now, if the city of God were to plop down right over the U.S. with Kansas City at the middle of it, this, is, this, would, be the, this would be the land mass. That's 1,380 miles in all directions. Now, I just thought it would be fun to put Kansas City in the middle because we are the heartland, right? But I don't think we should expect that. I'm pretty sure that the new Jerusalem is going to come down on top of the old Jerusalem. But I just kind of wanted, like, even Arkansas made it. Ain't that cool? And so, like, it's going to be, it's going to be a cool thing. Now, why does all of this matter? Why do, why do I want you to know this? Because how fun would it be if we knew the responsibility that we have to fill this city? How fun would it be if we knew that we were people appointed by God to fill this city with the saints? And so I just want you to think about your own story. Like for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, who was the one who initiated that conversation with you? Who was the person that invited you into the spiritual things? For me, I was invited to a church uh, by my uncle Breck in northeast Arkansas at Southside Community Church. And I was invited to attend a revival led by a guy named William Blackburn. This is a picture of William Blackburn. I've never talked to William Blackburn. He wouldn't know me from Adam, right? No idea. But this is the guy that when he shared the gospel on that night uh, in October of 1994, man, God grabbed my heart and I said yes to Jesus. He has no idea the impact that he's had on, uh, on the people in my life because of his faithfulness to proclaim the gospel. And so think about it. If you're walking into the city of God, who are you walking behind? Like, like I'm going to be behind William Blackburn with my Uncle Breck right here. And the question, and Charlie Blair posed this a few nights ago, a few weeks ago, in a gathering, who's behind you? Like, who is walking into the city of God because of your testimony, because of what you proclaimed? Or are we so caught up with what has to go on right now that we've taken our eyes off of what will be? Look what I'm going to wrap up. And so, Ben, if you guys want to come up, and, and we're going to second, we've got a fun story for you. But Romans 10, this is what Paul says. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here this morning and you're walking around in spiritual darkness, you're spiritually blinded, you're just kind of like a, like a humanity ping pong ball, you don't have to be that way. Check this out. Paul says, how can, how then, can they call on him when they haven't believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want you to look at your feet. You may think your feet are ugly. Go ahead and look at them. You have shoes on. Look at your shoes where your feet are. Got smart looks in the room, all right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What kind of news do your feet bring? Are you pointing people to the things of Christ? Or are you pointing them to the things of this world? I mean, God loves you so much. And he is bringing about a beautiful city that we get to live with him in. And if you're like, well, I don't know what God wants me to do, in that city you can go ask him. He's right there. Why would we settle for anything else? In this life that you're in, 
Jesus extends his hand to us over and over again in the scripture. And he says, don't just believe in me. Like some of us say, well, I went to a camp and I said a prayer or I went to a revival and I said a prayer. Jesus doesn't say, say a prayer. He says, follow me. Like he wants to do life with you. He, like, he loves you. Like, a few weeks ago, I talked about compassion. And compassion is when we, we are grabbed by the gut towards something that we have to do something. Man, when Jesus sees you, you grab him by the guts. And he wants to get involved in your life. He wants to do something with you. He wants to lead you, to save you, to show you that life doesn't have to be this way. What was Jesus' mission? He said, I've got to preach about the kingdom. How did he teach us to pray? Father, pray that the kingdom there would be here. But if we, young and old, are so caught up in our division and our distraction and our discouragement, how can our feet be good news to the world? Like, you're at church, you're hearing some encouragement, hopefully. But our neighbors, our friends that are not anywhere this morning, they're home, man, they desperately need the feet of the gospel. The men and women in this church, to love them enough, to love them enough to tell them about Jesus.